Welcome, everybody, to the Ultra Human Podcast, where endurance athlete and personal development coach Brooke Ramsey interviews ordinary people who do extraordinary things. You'll hear from doers, athletes, and warriors as we unearth the mindset and spirit behind people who push themselves to their limits and beyond. Hey, it's Brooke Ramsey, and this is the part of the podcast where I tell you why I love this episode and a bit about our guest. I spent the entire time talking with Patrice, not only having fun, but being really inspired. Patrice has gone through a lot in life. She's achieved a lot of milestones and overcome a lot of obstacles. She's always been an athlete, from being a gymnast to playing slow and fast pitch to being a competitive swimmer. In 1997, Patrice joined the Army, and In 2007, when she was in NCO training, she was the first female platoon sergeant, the honor graduate, and the only female platoon sergeant to make the commandant's list. She was surprised by how much of her athletics and physical accomplishments were really about mindset. She talks about how we often tell ourselves we can't do something and then choose to stop. She chooses not to stop. Patrice is an ultra-human because not only did she achieve these amazing feats while in the army, But after suffering from neuromyelitis optica, she has regained and retrained her brain to become just as much or even more of a mindset warrior. In this episode, Patrice shares with us the importance of choice, the ability to use our mindset and attitude to make serious physical changes to what our body is capable of. I hope you're just as inspired by Patrice and I's conversation as I was while I was participating in it. Let's jump in. Hi, Patrice, and welcome to the Ultra Human Podcast. Hi, Brooke. It's good to be here. It's super exciting to to speak with you. We were talking a little bit before I started the recording, and I was like, man, I've got to get the record button on Patrice because she's so full of wisdom. So I'm, I'm sure that I'm excited for everyone listening to have the experience of your wisdom and your thought because you've been through a lot in your life. You've had a lot of different experiences, and one of the things we were touching on before I hit record was the idea of thriving in adversity. And you said something beautiful. You said, like, when I think of adversity, I say, bring it on. So I'd love to just hear more about that and and dive even deeper into that. So for you, what's adversity? What's some of the adversity you've experienced? And how did you get this philosophy of bring it on? So for me, adversity is, I think, anything we find difficult, whether it's mental, emotional, physical, a difficult situation. And my younger life, there was plenty of adversity. I had my music. I trained my entire life since the age of three to be a a pianist, a professional musician. And I did that for many years. I did that in the military. And I had a wonderful career in the Army Band. I loved it. Unfortunately, I actually, you know what? Fortunately, I developed a rare neuroimmune disorder called neuromyelitis optica. I had gotten 13 vaccinations in one day for a deployment. And they believe that the, the number of vaccinations, not the vaccinations themselves, which I believe are a wonderful thing, it caused a mutation in an antibody. And that mutation caused a breakdown of the myelin around my spinal cord, brain stem, and optic nerves. So basically, the myelin that doesn't regenerate. 
So that means uh, several bouts of blindness, an extensive paralysis. I was paralyzed from the neck down in 2008, being in a wheelchair for two and a half years with no function below the waist, which means no bowel, no bladder, nothing, not knowing if I would ever be able to walk again. My diaphragm is partially paralyzed on both sides. So right now that does mean having a trach and using a ventilator at night. So all of that, and for a while it meant a cognitive decline as well. I was retired from the military and I had no idea what I was going to do with myself. I was retired. I'm well compensated because this is service connected. You know, so I looked at that as an opportunity to just be with my family. We do have six kids. They range, let's see, 14, 16, 18, 19, 21, and 23. So three are out of the house. Three are still here. One starts uh, her special effects uh, makeup program tomorrow. The other two are in high school. So I was like, here's an opportunity to be at home and be with your family. So they were, they were really young in 2008 when you first developed the yes. neuromyelitis optica. That must yes. have been pretty tough like for them and you know, for you to... Oh, yeah. Well, this started in 2004. I, I was not diagnosed properly until 2008. They thought I had MS initially. So I had my last child in 2005. I was in a wheelchair. My husband deployed in 2009 and 2010. So I'm at home in a wheelchair, taking care of my family and having to do it for them at the time. That was my, my driving motivation, and which was also part of the problem, uh, I realized eventually, because I wasn't doing anything for me anymore. It was all about them. And that only works for a while. You can give and give and give, right? You've got a cup of water and you pour it out until there's nothing left. Well, then you've got nothing left. So, you know, I hit a low point in um, like 2013, about a year after I retired, where I just didn't feel like myself. I mean, I was, I wouldn't say depressed, but I had no outlook for the future. Like, I mean, I, I had come close to dying a couple of times and even a couple of times after that. So I wasn't expecting to live for very long. And I had no purpose. I had no purpose. Now, my family was a purpose, but it wasn't a purpose that for me impacted my community or the world. And it, I just, I was withering. I was dying. And not from the disease, but from, from, from not living. You know, I mean, we have a choice, I think. Even if we don't believe we have a choice, we always have a choice. We may not like the choices, right? But we do have a choice. So I could just lay in my bed. And I mean, I, 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 I didn't pity myself. I did things. But I just, I started withdrawing from my life, you know, letting my husband take the reins and letting him do everything and, and just backing off, which I thought was the right thing to do. And it, 
it just wasn't. I mean, I, I got to a point where I said, you know, <laughs> I'm miserable. So what are you going to do? And I started asking myself that. I mean, I'm still here. I'm not dead. I might feel like it some days, but I'm not dead. So what am I going to do? Why am I just giving in? And it wasn't like me to give in. I've never given in. You know, when, when a wall comes up, I, I, I find a way to get over it or around it, you know, or go under it, whatever it is, blow it up, break it down. That's the kind of person I am. And I just realized one day that I didn't see myself anymore in myself. I was unrecognizable to me. And so when you say like, you kind of woke up to this, well, I've, I've got choice and I don't want to be feeling like this. I don't want to like lay down and be miserable. What did you need from like the people around you or from your world that if someone else saw someone in a situation like, like you were, where you were really down and out and feeling really stuck, what might someone been able to like say to you or bring up to you that could have helped? I think some of the questions I asked myself were, is this what you really want? And no, that's not what I wanted. I felt like I didn't have a choice in the matter. And I started asking myself, well, one situation at a time, even down to the, the little things, like I have a choice to get up and take a shower, okay? Either you make a choice to take that shower or you make a choice not to. But the, the decision is mine and I'm going to own it. I'm not going to allow something else to dictate it to me. And if I don't feel like taking a shower, well, then I'm going to say, I don't want to take a shower today. It was amazing how empowering that one thing with every little decision I made to get dressed, to go sit in a chair or stay in the bed, to take my medication, every little choice, right? Mm -hmm. I made a decision to do it or not to do it. And I didn't really question why. I just, I made a choice. And that right there, that, that act of making a choice for myself was enough. And my family they supported that. I mean, they've been amazing. My husband is truly amazing. He supports me in whatever I want to do. And I've asked for his help and, you know, I love his support. But don't be afraid to say, you know, well, are you making a choice, a conscious choice, or are you making that choice just out of fear? I mean, that's, that's the, one of the questions I ask myself now. Now, you know, why am I making that choice? As you were starting to make more choices and like take this ownership and really like be in the driver's seat, even though, you know, they sound like small choices in the beginning, what changed? I felt empowered. I felt like I could choose the way my life goes. It is not dictated by the disease that I have. It really came down to, to that simple reframe. I still have this disease. I still have things I have to do to, to take care of it and take care of myself, but I can decide. 
and I will decide. I was no longer happy with allowing things to just decide themselves. It was easier for a while, and I obviously needed that. But at a certain point, it, was, it didn't serve me, and it certainly wasn't serving anyone around me. And, and just those tiny things, I mean, that's what life is. Life is a million trillion tiny moments and decisions all put together. This is something I say to my kids all the time. How do you eat an elephant? Mm. One bite at a time. So it's, it's small steps. Mm. And I really believe in that, that everything we do is just a series of small steps. And I, there was a quote, and I believe it was Michael Jordan. He said, I only make a decision once. Once you decide to do or not do something, the decision's done. I struggled with food, but it was never an issue because I was so active. It never really occurred to me that what I was eating was impacting everything, you know, because I was, I was thin, I was in shape. I could do whatever I wanted to do, and then I couldn't. And I was having a hard time. I, mean, I would tell myself, you know, oh, you deserve a brownie. You, you deserve some ice cream, right? <laughs> well, gosh darn it, I deserve spinach. I deserve <laughs> broccoli. I mm. deserve a walk. That's what my body deserves. Mm. And once I made that decision, I only had to make it once. I don't have to make that decision every time I go to the store or I make dinner. Make that decision and that's it. And what I hear in that that I'm loving is like, I trust myself that when I make a decision, it's real. Right? Oh, absolutely. So you, you started making these choices and you followed through on it. So you made the decision and then you did it. And so you were reinforcing this idea of like, when, when Patrice says she's going to do something, she's going to do something. <laughs> And so yes. then when you decide you deserve spinach, that's final. Yes. But also within that, there's that judgment part. So when we have a birthday, I make a cake and I have a piece. And that's also my decision. But I decided beforehand, you know, at first, these were little decisions and they've gotten to bigger things. And I've become more powerful. And like you said, I don't believe in willpower. I believe in want power. Willpower is something that will fall apart when we're hungry, when we're angry, when we're tired. When we're not at full capacity, our brain's capacity to hold fast to something, it just goes away. So I build in boundaries. So I don't buy junk at the store and I don't bring it into my house. But I allow myself when we do have birthdays, I'm going to celebrate with them. There is nothing wrong with that. I don't buy alcohol. But on our anniversary, when we go out, I'll have a glass of something. So it's not like I'm depriving myself. I'm not at all. And, and that's part of it. I don't feel deprived. I feel nurtured and very well taken care of. And I think that's a lot of it, how we see things, our mindset. If you believe you're being deprived, 
then of course you're going to constantly want for something else or something more. You're going to feel like you're missing out. I'm not missing out on anything by not having processed sugar or processed foods. Nope. In fact, I am getting way more. I'm not missing out on a thing. That is a mindset, which finding that, finding the power in my mind has been the biggest part of this journey. As you started to make these choices and, and your body was changing and your attitude was changing, like you started to really get curious about this role between your mind and your well-being and your health. Absolutely. And, and my disease affects my neurological sy- system. And there's been so much research recently about the, the role that neurology plays in everything, our physical health, our mental health, our emotional health, all of it. Mindful awareness practices. We know that there are a few things that change the makeup of our brains. They've shown this with with people who meditate on a daily basis, but they've also shown this with regular people who never meditated a day in their life, but started. Our gray matter increases, which means that our neurons are wiring together, and so they'll fire together. It means integration between all the different areas in our brain, you know, our lizard brain and our higher consciousness, that frontal lobe, the, the connection between the two halves, the corpus callosum, all of those things are wired together. Chronic pain, chronic fatigue, epilepsy, even autism, all of these disorders of neurological function show that there's a, a separation between the parts. Parts of our, our brain, they're not communicating properly. They're not talking to each other. So how can we make a better environment? The way to do that, there are certain things we can do to increase those. You know, um, focused attention. So actually practicing attention, which is something that I know my kids, I know I wasn't taught how to use my brain. I was taught knowledge. But how many of us are actually taught how to use our brain? We're taught skills like um, focusing attention, open awareness, being aware of what we feel, what we think, what we sense, um, what we intuit without judgment without thinking, oh, well, that's good. That's bad. I shouldn't think that. I shouldn't feel that. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. Don't shoot all over yourself, right? Just experience it. If I'm angry, I'm angry. The feeling is not the problem. There's nothing wrong with how you feel. Not at all. Now, what you do with those feelings, what you use them for, that's up to us. I didn't think that for a long time but it absolutely is up to me. And now when I make a choice, I make a choice and I own it. So if I make a choice that I'm not going to exercise today, that I'm going to take a day off, then I own that and I I use it. I don't feel ashamed. There's no shame in it. 
And when you remove that, that shame or the judgment, my experience of it is it's like life is roomier. Like, like there's more space to, to do and choose and to be. What's changed for you physically as you've released this? It sounds like there's been a lot of acceptance, like, okay, this is where I am. And I also accept what I want and where I want to go. So what's really solidified that change for you into being more aware, being less judgmental? How has that shown up? So many things. So over the past 15 months, I had a lot of chronic neurogenic pain. So basically, it felt like my legs were on fire pretty much all of the time, which is exhausting in and of itself. I consider myself a woman of science. I've always loved science. I look to science and I think medicine is important and there are a lot of answers there. But, and, and that's where I looked initially. Medications, you know, uh, medical treatments, what could I do to make this better? So I was on some pretty heavy-duty meds, not opioids, although I did take them sometimes, but a medication called Lyrica, which is designed to, to deaden nerve impulses, but it's not selective, so you deaden everything. And I was maxed out on this for 11 years, and the chronic pain was starting to get unbearable, and so I got a spinal cord stimulator, which did help a lot. And something that occurred to me one day, it's like pain is, it's just neurological impulses. When I was paralyzed, I burned myself a couple of times. One time with a blow dryer, I was blow drying my hair and then set it on my lap and didn't realize what was happening until I kind of smelled something. But I had no idea. Well, why? Because the neurological impulses weren't getting through. The damage happened. That's real. But my brain didn't perceive it. It's all about what happens from the neck up. How we perceive what's going on in our bodies is, is our reality. So I started looking into what else can be done? You know, outside of medication, what can be done? And I came across so many things and discovered that really it begins with your thought. A thought leads to a feeling and that feeling leads to a behavior or an action. And chronic pain is much different than acute pain. Acute pain was what happened initially. I had an extensive lesion on my spine, inflammation that compressed the spinal cord. Well, that's painful. And that left scar tissue. But a lot of that scar tissue is gone. There's nothing there anymore. So why am I feeling pain? And I equated it to phantom limb pain. You know, I've, I've had friends that have lost limbs. I know people have gone through this. And your brain still thinks it's there. Your brain thinks you still have your leg. But your leg is not there. And so it's kind of freaking out. and what to do about that. And, you know, there are therapies like mirror therapy that teach your brain that you're okay. Brain is freaking out because it perceives that something is wrong. It's not sure what it is. 
And that is perceived as pain. We feel real pain. It's not something you're imagining. It's not something that is not real to you. So I started researching this and found that, you know, you start with just one simple thing. When I feel the burning, what is the thought that I want to have? I want to think that, oh, I'm actually standing in snow and it's cool and it's a little numbing. And it took about three to four weeks and consciously thinking this throughout the day, I actually set a timer on my watch and I, I intentionally imagined that, you know, like being out skiing, you know, when you fall down and you're sitting in the snow and everything starts to get comfortably numb, you know, that was the feeling I was going for. This is so fascinating, Patrice. So at this point, were you off the Lyrica, like you could practice that or were you still on it? So I, I did have to come off of it. And, and the first step was really being aware of what I was feeling. So it started with that awareness. And I'll be honest, it was excruciating. And, and my doctor knew about this. I would never do something like this without his input. But we started titrating down slowly. And the pain was... It really was. It was excruciating. It means so much so that I was throwing up and I wasn't even sure that I would be able to continue to do this. But at one point, I kept thinking these thoughts. And then if I think that I'm standing in snow, then it feels, it feels good. It doesn't feel bad to me. And so in between three and four weeks, I realized that I wasn't having to intentionally think a thought. The thought was coming to me out of habit. And that feeling was becoming more pronounced and it was sticking more. And that led to me not fearing going down even more on the medication. I mean, that fear that the pain will be so excruciating that I can't handle it was gone because I knew that I could, I already had. So telling myself that I was safe, this is not going to kill me. Mm -hmm. Pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. So pain is nothing to be afraid of. Pain is, is a clear signal that you're alive, in fact. <laughs> and I knew that I could handle it. But the first three to four weeks were rough. It was really rough. But I kept doing it. And, and I wanted to really find out if this could work. Because if this could work, and I could get off these medications, then I could control the neurological impulses that I do have. Now I have reflexes back. I mean, fast forward 15 months, and I am off 10 different medications. In fact, there are only a couple that I take now, only one by mouth, and that's a, a blood thinner because my vagus nerve was affected and it caused an arrhythmia, which caused some, I had two pulmonary embolisms. So that's not something they want to take me off of and not something I want to be off of because, you know, a clot, not good for the body. But everything else I am now completely off of. I literally retrained my brain 
to, to perceive the signals coming from my spinal cord as nothing more than comfortable numbness. And now it's not even that. Chronic fatigue is the same way. Our brain, it's trying to take care of us. There are parts of our brain, our lizard brain, reflexes, you know, breathing. That stuff is ingrained in our DNA. Chronic fatigue, they know that there's a process in the brain where your brain perceives that you walking to the bathroom was the same as running a marathon. Now, that's crazy when you think about it. Obviously, running a marathon is nothing like going to the bathroom, but if your brain thinks it is, that's enough. It treats your body and releases chemicals and tells you, you need to go lie down and sleep. And it's the same thing that was happening to my body. It's getting weird impulses. You know, the scar tissue was interfering with that and it perceived those as pain. But now I've changed that, that physiological makeup of my brain and I don't need the meds anymore. I mean, that's been 2008. So over 11 and a half years, I can't even tell you how wonderful it is not to be on all of that. And now I can sleep and I've dropped a lot of weight and I can move my muscles when I want to move them. I am in control. It's so beautiful. It's that, it, honestly what, as I hear you speak about it and the transition into like being back in your own body and being, being in this place of controlling and, and noticing the impulses, it sounds like it's like I came back into myself. I was me again. Physically, I am in better shape and mentally, emotionally, I am in better shape now than I ever have been. And as crazy as it sounds, that's because I have NMO. Without that, I don't know that anything would have changed. I mean, why change it? It's not broken, right? But as something was, obviously, I mean, my, my body had a breakdown. I can look back and know that there were things like my nutrition, like sleep. I would sacrifice sleep for anything, you know, because I didn't think that it impacted me. And I know better now. I was arrogant. <laughs> I, sleep is the number one thing for me. And that drives everything. And think about it. How many people will willingly cut an, even an hour off of their sleep to do something? If I'm going to do that, it's going to be for something really important to me. So like two days ago, I, for the first time in years, I chaperoned my kids. The, their high school band went to the state UIL marching contest here in Texas, and I went with them. And we got up at four o'clock so we could leave and get there and do all this stuff. Now, that to me is worth sacrificing a little bit of sleep, but it has to be that level of importance. And I make a rule that it's never more than once a week. And I love that because it's. It's like the decision we were talking about earlier, like you, you made the choice once that yep. case sleep's very critical and I'm going to honor that. And, you know, Patrice, when we were chatting earlier before we were recording the episode, we talked a little bit about what does that word ultra human mean or that idea of ultra human. And, you know, you kind of mentioned that it's to be human is, is our mind and it's our emotions and everything. And the thing that's coming up for me now is like, 
I can be ultra human. And part of that means honoring that I'm human and I need sleep and I need healthy food and I need this X, Y, Z. And so this idea of like, I don't need to fight my, my biology. I don't need to steal an hour from myself because I think something in the world's like needing me. I can still honor that I'm, I'm a human and I need my rest. Yes. And by actually doing that, by honoring what my body needs, I have more to give. I mean, I completely outdid my husband. I love him, but I was the one that was, you know, checking the kids in their rooms and walking all around and carrying the equipment. That was me because I had the energy to do that. And I only had that energy because I make that decision right off the bat that I'm going to do these things for myself, period. I hear people say, oh, I don't have the time for that. The thing is, is we have the time. We may have to look at how we spend our time. You know, I know for me, I do sort of a block scheduling thing. So I don't look at emails all day long. I look at emails twice a day, once in the morning and once in the evening, and that's it. The same thing for social media. So I've discovered these things about myself. Now to get there, I tried all sorts of different things, right? What works for me may not work for you, but now I know what works best for me. And there's very little that could come up other than an emergency or something that I consider top of my values, which is my family or myself, nothing else is going to impact that for me. And I know now that by sticking to that, I actually have more to give. I am filling my cup every night when I sleep. I'm filling my cup every time I eat food that my body needs. I'm filling my cup every time I get up and walk around and take the stairs and not the elevator. That's, you know, me doing good things for my body. Once you decide that, it's just so easy. I don't have to make that decision every time. It's just what I do. What I feel like people are really going to admire about you, Patrice, and I'm sure like the people in your life do admire this in you, is like you have a lot of clarity about what's important to you. Sometimes we as people can get caught in like, oh, I don't know what to do. Is this right? Or is that right? Or what should I do next? And, you know, we kind of judge our ideas and we judge our next moves and it's, but we can, you know, stop ourselves from (laughs) making a decision. (laughs) But for you, you seem very like, okay, I see this thing and I do this thing and I want this thing and I go for it. Like you have a lot of clarity. Yes. And that's come from 49 years of... (laughs) living and trying things and failing and failing is a wonderful thing. Seriously. I mean, that's what this disease is. It was my body failing. I, I know some people that, that call the day that they were diagnosed, their crap aversary. You know, I don't see it that way. I just don't. How can I possibly, when I love the person that I am now, And I am that person because of every other day that came before today and every moment and every decision and every interaction, whether, you know, someone pissed me off 
or someone made me happy. I mean, it literally everything we experience goes into that. I just don't shy away from anything now. And if it even pops into my head that um, maybe you don't want to do this, the first thing I do is, well, why don't you want to do this? Is it because you really don't want to and it just doesn't interest you and it doesn't serve you in any way? Okay, great, move on. But if it's not, then man, I almost go at it harder because I see that as an area to expand my comfort zone, expand what I can do. And I'm discovering that by expanding my mind and what my mind can do, that is doing amazing things for my body. I mean, I've actually, my left foot is still paralyzed. It's still a drop foot, but I've gotten some movement back. And that's been gone since 2008. But the thing that has changed is my belief that by doing certain things, by using a muscular re-education unit, it's like a TENS unit, but attaching electrodes and stimulating those muscles and doing movements daily, it takes time. But I believe that, that I can get function back and now I can move my toes a little bit. So I'm sticking with that. I'm going to do that every day. I'm challenging my mind and my neurological system. I'm getting so much back. It actually works. And the medical community is wonderful. Doctors, a lot of them are well-trained and they mean well. They don't know everything. We know very little about the capacity of the human mind and what it can do. I mean, I can go through procedures now without sedation or pain medicine just by using my mind, by building a place within it that's like an oasis. And I can put myself there. And it's, I keep saying amazing, but it's to me, it's amazing what. It's like you open this door and everything's possible. Yes, everything is possible. And I'm not listening to the people who are telling me it's not. Because obviously it is. And that's the message I want to get out to people. That yes, this can be done. You know, I have all of these tests and MRIs that tell me that this shouldn't be the case. You know, I shouldn't be able to move my foot, yet I am. So there's so much we don't know. So why would I make the assumption that it can't be done? I mean, that's, that's one of the things that, that's really changed for me in the past year is nothing's off the table. Yeah. I am going to, to hike the Appalachian Trail. It's something I've wanted to do almost my entire life. And I've hiked small portions. I went to school in North Georgia. I want to hike the entire thing. Right now, I have a trach. I have to use a ventilator at night. I am exploring phrenic nerve stimulation. What can I do to improve the neurological function of my diaphragm? I mean, just doing meditation and yoga has improved that. But what can I do past that? You know, I'm back to swimming with a trach. 
there's a device. It's, it's just a tube that goes from my trach into my mouth. But it's kind of the same principle, you know, when you're underwater, if you're blowing out through your mouth, water can't come into your nose. It creates that, that negative pressure and it blocks the water. It's this, it functions quite the same. So I never thought I would be able to enjoy water sports and I love the water. I've, I've learned how to swim before I could walk. I was a competitive swimmer when I was younger. I never thought I would be back, but I am. You're operating from the assumption that this is possible as opposed to operating from this assumption of like, what's wrong and why can't this happen? Yeah. So when you, you know, when you open these things up, like I have full faith, you are going to walk the Appalachian Trail. You're going to hike the whole thing because as soon as you've made that a possibility in your mind and you genuinely believe it, gosh, you can do it. Right. Then everything becomes, you know, an option. And that is freedom. Having that belief back, seeing is believing, but believing is seeing. That is so true. And that's, that's how I want to impact people. And I've been able to do that. You know, I took that step and, and became the coach. And now mm-hmm. I'm the person that's out there telling people that this absolutely can be the case. So why isn't that the case for you? What I went through is going to be different than what everyone else goes through. But you'd be surprised how many people want that too. They want it. They just have been told that it's not possible. You have this severe, rare neuroimmune disorder, and your life is forever changed, and it will be crappy. Well, who says? Really? And we believe it because we're taught that the medical community is knowledgeable and they know what they're talking about. And science is supposed to be so definitive. And in some ways it is, but in lots of ways, I mean, who thought that mold would cure us? It would extend our lifespan, but it did. It does. There's so much that's possible. I mean, I learned how to kayak paralyzed. My physical therapist that I had, she's like, like I said, I'm a water baby. I learned how to swim without my lower body. She had a kayak up on the wall. And she said, you know, I, I keep that up there because I know that there's going to be someone that wants to take me up on this. She said, if you can learn to kayak in the pool, you can turn yourself over, get yourself back upright. You can get into it all on your own. I'll take you out. I was in inpatient rehab. She said, I'll take you out and we'll go kayaking on. We have a Ladybird Lake here in Austin. And I did. I was all over that. And it was really hard because I had to build up my upper body, which was weak because I had already been paralyzed. And then I had to learn how to control all of that and gravity and leverage. And I had to just do it to show myself that I could, but I did. And then I moved on to rowing. There's actually a device that it straps, it straps your legs in so it gives you leverage to push on so you don't have to have your muscles to use. So many things are possible. I mean, you don't know what you don't know. 
So why would you assume that it's not possible? Patrice, you had me tearing up when you talked about this physical therapist and getting in the kayak and going on Ladybird. That's yeah. just a beautiful... Um, Susan, I love her. She uh, played a huge part in my life. She's one of those that doesn't believe that anything is impossible. Mm-hmm. It's only impossible if you believe it is. It is people like her and people like you who open the rest of us up to what's possible and allow us to dream bigger and to, I think, have a lot more self-belief. I think it's, it's so powerful. Um, I really hope that I can express how much I love hearing your story and that it's an honor to hear about this because, I God, I think everyone should hear this story. It's, it's amazing. I share that so that people know that anything is possible. It's just a matter of time and effort. Yes. And I know people are going to want to be in your energy more after hearing your story. So how can they find you, be in touch with you, learn about what you do? Absolutely. So um, my coaching practice is Resilient Me Coaching. I'm on Facebook. Also, my website, resilientmecoaching.com. You'll find me. I work with medical transitions, so people that have chronic illnesses or physical injuries and well-being. And I also work with elite musicians because that's something I do as well. And I have that mindset and experience for it. So we will be super excited to hear about when and how your Appalachian Trail hike goes. And I want to keep in, I want you to keep us in mind and, and maybe we can do a follow-up episode to hear about that experience when it happens. The Ultra Human Podcast is produced in the backyard of the Rocky Mountains in Alberta, Canada by Joseph Tubb on behalf of Infinite Courage Coaching.